First uh, Peter chapter number one. We've been here for a couple weeks now, and uh, we're going to look at a thought from here um, tonight, continuing on in a series going through First Peter. And uh, so far, well, first message I preached, we were all over the book of First Peter. Second message I preached, we stayed in uh, verse number one, and tonight we'll mainly stay in verse number two. Um, but uh, when you find your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. We'll look here in verse number two. We're going to read a few verses tonight, but like I said, we'll mainly stay in uh, verse number two. The Bible says, First Peter chapter number one, verse number two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And we're going to be looking at verse number two tonight, which for a lot of Baptists is a scary verse. It's got some, it's got two words in it that scare the Baptists for some reason, that word elect and that word foreknowledge. But uh, we're going to go through here tonight and look at some things. But I want you to understand that um, it's, it's crucial for us to remain focused on what we have rather than what we do not have especially when we're in a trial. And uh, this whole series revolves around uh, the trial of your faith. And we're going we're gonna to go into a lot of different subjects. And the subject tonight is going to center around salvation. And we'll probably be talking about salvation tonight and next week, maybe even the next Wednesday too. But uh, these are things that we need to know when we are going through the trials of life. Helen Keller said this. She said, so much has been given me that I have no time to think about what has been withheld. It do us all good to just remember that quote. You know, uh, she said, so much has been given me that I have no time to think about what has been withheld. Now, let me just go ahead and say, while we're talking about this, it shouldn't surprise us that the devil wants to, uh, he wants us to focus on what we can't have. Instead of focusing on what we do have, he wants us to focus on what we don't have or what we can't have. And the greatest example we find in the Bible about this is, is with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We don't know how many trees were in the Garden of Eden, but uh, I do know what God told Adam in Genesis 2, 16. He says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And uh, a perfect, we find in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place had been created by God and all of his needs had been met. God had given Adam the trees in the garden to provide for him. But Satan was able to get Adam and Eve's focus on what God said they couldn't have. It's pretty amazing. Like I said, I don't know how many trees were in the garden, but there was only one that they were not allowed to eat from. In verse number 17 in Genesis 2, the Bible says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And uh, here's the thing, as a believer, 
of, as a believer tonight, it's essential that we exercise self-discipline and have an unwavering focus on the gifts that God has given us. And you think about this, the grace of salvation is invaluable. It's more precious than anything. When we think about salvation, and uh, me and me and Nicole were just talking about this uh, this past week, about how people people look at salvation here in the South like it's something you check off of a of a list of things you need to do in your lifetime. They check it off and then they just go on about their business. That is not how salvation ought to work. Uh, salvation is a precious thing. It ought to mean something to us. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, Jesus says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And you know, you just, you just imagine for a minute that you possess the whole world and all of the riches in it. Imagine that you could do anything that you wanted to. You could be anything that you wanted to be. You could go anywhere that you wanted to go. Imagine that you were the absolute ruler of all things material. Well, it sounds like a dream come true, don't it? But uh, imagine this. At the end of your uh, at the end of that experience, though, having being and having being and doing as you please, you die. Now imagine that after death, you found yourself in hell forever. Would those few years, those decades, maybe of pleasure, be worth eternity in hell? You know, a lot of people would never admit to that, but that's exactly what they say with their life. But here's the thing, salvation is worth more than anything on this earth. Salvation is invaluable. And what, I, what the goal or the, the end result of the next few weeks talking about uh, uh, preaching what, what the, the Lord's uh, led me to here, uh, I want us to discover in a greater way this amazing salvation. This amazing salvation. Salvation. You know, one of, one of our biggest problems in the church today is that we no longer stand in awe of God. Might as well say amen. It no longer moves us. I've heard this. I've heard, I've heard people say, yeah, I couldn't get them to move with a stick of dynamite. You know why people are that Hard to get to move because they have no awe of God anymore. What they have in Christ Jesus does not impress them anymore. Salvation. We've lost sight of what we have in Jesus Christ. And for many, they have all of their eyes on everything that they don't have. And they just totally forget about everything they do. And so for the next few weeks, I want to just preach on the subject of this amazing salvation. And so I want you to notice, I, I, there are four points in this message. I'm going to preach one of them tonight. Uh, First Peter is just packed full of some really good stuff. And, and I feel like, I've been praying, I just feel like over the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to cram too much into the message. 
And uh, so I'm going to try to maybe not keep you as long tonight, and I don't know about that, but I, I, it's Wednesday. We're already tired when we get here, and uh, some of us got to get up the next morning and get early and get to work, and so I, I really want these things to soak in and, and, and help us. And so uh, let's go ahead and dive into this. I'm going to preach part one of of this message, okay? One point in it. But I want you to notice tonight, we're going to talk about a provided salvation. When we think about this amazing salvation that God has given us, it's a provided salvation. It's been provided for us. God did not and has not owed us not one thing. Uh, but here's the thing, out of His own accord, out of His own generosity, He chose to save us. Nobody forced him. He wasn't manipulated. Uh, it was all because of his goodwill, because of his kindness, because of his love that he saved us. And James chapter 1 verse 18 tells us this. It says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let me just tell you what happened. God made the first move. Don't label me a Calvinist. But God made the first move. Not us. Now listen, we would have never loved God. We would have never desired a relationship with God had He not loved us first. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 tells us that. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him here in His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So think about this. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm telling you tonight, I'm glad that we don't have to qualify uh, for His love. Uh, he loves sinners. We are all sinners. And so that means we're all eligible for His love. Yeah. When it comes to a provided salvation, I want you to notice, I want to look at three things concerning a provided salvation here. And we're going to see it. See them in verse number 2 of 1 Peter chapter number 1. I want you to first of all look at a fatherly design. There's a fatherly design concerning salvation. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man have been a source of puzzlement for centuries. You've got people... You've got, you've got, well, I, I don't know how I'm trying to say this. You've got the Calvinist over here in one corner that say that God elects and foreordains and predestinates everyone that comes into the world. In other words, they literally believe that some people are born to be saved, some people are born to die and go to hell. If you were not predestined from the beginning, then no matter how bad you want to be saved, you're not going to be saved. Because God did not predestine you. That's what they say. That's what they say. And then you've got, uh, you've got another corner over here that says everything is about free will. 
And that mankind finds God. And mankind is the one that... Do, let me just tell you, no matter what situation you are looking at, there's two ditches you can fall in. The Bible generally is right in the middle of the two ditches. And so... The reason why there's two ditches in this, in this subject, the reason why there's so much confusion is because it's hard as human beings, let me just put it out there, as human beings, our minds simply cannot comprehend the complexity, complexities related to an infinite God. Can I just put it out there like that? We are the created, not the creator. We're not going to figure out everything about God. It's the truth. And some of these people act like they're going to die if they don't know everything. We can't figure out an infinite God with a finite mind. So there's some things. Here's the thing. It's pop, and that's the problem between these two roads. You've got people that, that believe 100% in the sovereignty. Then you've got people that believe in, in, in that it's all about free will. But let me tell you, the Bible is a middle of the road here. The Bible is the middle of the road. There are some things that we just cannot understand about an infinite God. And one of those things is how the sovereignty of God and the free will of man work together. I'm not going to pretend to tell you I understand how that works. But I will give you a Bible. And you know why we're not going to understand it? Because we're not God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So here's what we do. We focus on what's been plainly revealed in God's law or God's word. He tells us what he wants us to know. Scripture makes it plain. God wants all men to be saved. It's hard to argue from following Scripture that it's not God's will for someone to be saved. You know why it's hard to follow? Because verses like 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 that says, this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And sadly, some argue that God has elected only certain people to be saved and thus Christ only died for those who are predestined to be saved. But if these people are correct, then how do we explain scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.15, the Bible says, and that he died for all. Or John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or what about Romans chapter 10 verse 13 who plainly, that plainly says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How in the world could God say that He loved the entire world if He showed favoritism to only a select few? That just doesn't make any sense, does it? 
choosing some to be saved and others to go to hell would also leave man hopeless. A person could conclude, well, if the Lord doesn't elect to save me, there's nothing else I can do to go to heaven. Let me tell you, the gospel is a message of hope, not hopelessness. And when we get enough hopelessness from the world around us, don't we? Now, God does know from the foundation of this world who was going to accept his offer. That's beyond our comprehension because we don't have the capability to think like God thinks. This is why Paul refers to it as a mystery. First Corinthians 2, 7, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Let me tell you tonight, God created every single person. God designed every person. And God loves every person. Why in the world would He not want every person to live with Him forever? The choice is ours. He knows not everyone will accept His free offer of eternal life. But nonetheless, He does offer it to everyone. And He says, whosoever will. I can't give you an explanation of how the sovereignty of God works with the free will of man. But the Bible says it does. It's good enough for me. So concerning a provided salvation, I want you to know that we find a fatherly design there, but we also have a forethought destiny. A forethought destiny. First, the Bible says here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, it's certain that when God saves us, guess what? He predestinates us to live for Him. His decision to redeem us is not only justified, but it's intentional. He wants to use our lives to bring glory to Him and point others toward Him. Just so you know, that's why we're alive. If you're, if you're not saved and you're alive, then guess what? God's mercy is holding the door of salvation open for you. That is the only reason you're alive is so you've got a chance to be saved. If you are saved, guess what? The only reason that you're alive is so you can bring glory to God and point others to Him. You have no other purpose in life. People don't like to hear that, but it's true. There is no other purpose in life. We have people that, that, that long for purpose. They look for purpose in all these areas that the world tries to give them. But your purpose is to glorify your Creator and to point people toward Him. The devil is good at convincing people that there is no reason to live. But we all have an eternal purpose for life. God doesn't predestine 
people to heaven or to hell. This is not taught in the Bible. How could God be merciful and loving toward those whom He has predestined to hell? You know what that does? And this is what's so scary about guys that, that are, that are uh, you know, all the way in with Calvinism. The problem with Tulip, that's their five-point five point Calvinist, the problem with looking and, 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 and believing that, and I'll tell you as much as it, John Calvin had some good stuff. But he was wrong on this salvation thing. He was way wrong. Here's the biggest danger of that. Believe in what they do. They teach a contradiction in God's character. A contradiction in God's character. How can he be merciful if he predestines people to go to hell? That's not mercy. And if he does that, then he is not a merciful God. That would cause him to be a liar. That would cause him not to be God. That's a problem. And see, that's what happens when you get a man... I got a bunch of friends that's Calvinists. They're not going to like me. But that's the problem when you get a guy that focuses on one thing and thinks he's got to figure it out. When it's a mystery. Because you think, I mean, even right now, when I say the word Calvinist, what's the first thing? Oh, they believe in, they believe in 100% sovereignty of God. And, and, they pre- that's the th- and that was the thing he studied. He got a whole book to study. We have people. We have a lot of heretics today. We got a lot of people running cults today. You know what they do, most of them? They focus on one subject in Scripture. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is for reproof and rebuke. All Scripture is for exhortation. If you're not studying all the Scripture, you've got a problem. You're going to run into things. See, that's the danger of these things. Somebody that just studies the sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God, sovereignty of God. Oh, well, He's sovereign and He, he controls everything whether you like it or not. Well, He is sovereign, but He also gives us a free will. Just like Satan had. Preached on him last Sunday. He had a choice. Well, preacher, how do you explain that? I don't. There's no explaining. I hope I'm getting the point across. We've already established that God does not want anyone to go to hell. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Romans 8.29 says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So predestination, election, they're not scary words. A lot of preachers never preach on them. They scare people. They think you're getting into the Calvinist territory, but that's just Calvinism for you. 
I'm here to tell you, if you'll just face things with the Bible, it makes more sense. But let me tell you something. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. And the problem with a lot of people is they want to they wanna throw faith on out the window and figure it all out. And you cannot because God has secrets and God has mysteries. Why? Because God is God and we are not. And so we have a fatherly design, but we have a forethought destiny. God knew you'd be saved before you was even born. God knew you'd be saved before the world even began. It's an amazing thought. But listen to me. We also have, thirdly tonight, we have a finished decree. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, unto obedience. This is verse 2. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. We see a finished decree right here. Most of us have probably purchased something on credit. And I know, here's the thing, while I know what Dave Ramsey says, it's extremely hard to live in the United States and not use credit whatsoever. Dave Ramsey says the only thing a good credit score shows is that you've paid a lot of interest. He's got a point there, don't he? Here's the thing, whether it be a small item at the store, whether it be a major purchase like a house or a vehicle, those monthly payments can be pretty difficult to make sometimes, you know it? Speaking of difficult payments to make, I just read today, I was looking up some stuff and and uh, I read how the average car payment in America as of the third quarter of last year was now $700 a month for a new vehicle. And uh, for a used vehicle, the average car payment was $525 a month. I thought, holy smokes, that's crazy. And here's the thing, when we have debt, and we're paying those payments every month, we begin to calculate how much longer do, how are we going to have to pay this, and we begin counting those months down and uh, years down. And I tell you what, it's a pretty happy day when you get that title in the mail. It's a pretty happy day when you get that deed in the mail, ain't it? Y'all know what I'm talking about there, don't you? And let me tell you something tonight. When we accept the offer of eternal life, there are no monthly installments. No, there's no monthly installments that need to be paid as long as we live. No, salvation is a free gift. It is paid for in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's what, we're, that's what the latter part of this verse is talking about. It's already paid for. You just got to accept it. It's an offer you can't refuse or you shouldn't. Of course, if you're Calvinist, <laughs> they believe it. it's an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to have to come in one night and just preach on the five points of Calvinism. But anyways, when we think about salvation, I was preaching out of Romans probably a month or two ago, and one of the ways that I was explaining, and Paul explains it in Romans, I think it's Romans 4, but uh, use, uses the analogy or the, or the illustration of, a, of an employee and an employer. You know, when you go pick up that paycheck... That's not a gift from your employer. You earned every penny of it by working for them, right? And so your employer is indebted to you for those hours that you worked for them, correct? 
And so why is it so confusing? People think they're supposed to work for a free gift. If you have to work for it, that's the way Paul was illustrating it in Romans 4, I do believe. He, 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 he says, if it's, if it's a free gift, you don't have to work for it. If you work for it, it winds up being a debt that is paid to you. That's not how salvation is, though. I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. And Jesus saved me by paying that debt for me. And I'm not paying installment plans to Jesus for what he paid for me. It's a free gift. We need to understand that. Titus chapter 3 says this in verse 4 through 7. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I didn't do anything to earn salvation. I didn't do anything to save myself. It wasn't by works of righteousness. The Bible says according uh, that, that our righteousness is nothing to God but filthy rags. And so how did He save us? Book of Titus says, according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. That all goes back to 2 Corinthians uh, or for, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. How do we become a new creature? By the regeneration of the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on in Titus to say, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. How are we new creatures? <laughs> because the Holy Ghost has come in and set up home inside of us. How are we justified? By grace. We already know grace is, the Bible says it's not by works, but it's by grace. What is grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Hey, when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. You know what that means? That meant, the, that meant that the provision for salvation was complete. And I uh, found a verse over in Ecclesiastes that I just like. I just love this verse. And I, I can't believe it's took me this long. And I don't know how many times I've read Ecclesiastes. Here's what it says in chapter 3, verse 14. It says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before Him. Do you notice what that verse said right there? You just think about that for a second. The works of Jesus on the cross is incomparable, it is irreplaceable, and any efforts 
that come, uh, that come after it are irrelevant. Any efforts to save yourself is irrelevant. Any works is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God, through His mercy, sent His only begotten Son to save us. God's promise of salvation has been fulfilled. There's no more that needs to be done. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's a done deal. It's final. There's no change orders having to do with it. There's no restrictions. There's no conditions to it. There's no lemon law. When God saved you, He purchased you for eternity. The conclusion tonight is simply this. God's love for us is so great that He freely provided us with salvation. Salvation is a free gift that we did not earn and we did not deserve. And we need to remember tonight that we deserve to be in hell. I said at the beginning, one of our biggest issues is that, that we are not in awe of God anymore. We, don't, we have seemingly gotten used to what God has given us. But honey, let me tell you, we still deserve hell and that's all we deserve. We need to remember on a daily basis what God has done for us. What it cost Him to save our wretched, miserable, unworthy hell-deserving souls. It's a gift He gave us out of His love and out of His mercy without any expectation of anything in return. God's gift of salvation is only an act of His grace and His mercy and it is offered to anyone who believes in Him. That free gift was given to us out of His unconditional love. Out of his compassion for mankind, regardless of our past, regardless of our present, God's got a future for us. Next week we'll pick up, I'll preach point two in this message on uh, the amazing salvation. Let's stand and bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.